Welcome to the Northeastern Next podcast, your channel for the latest alumni stories in Boston and beyond. In this show, we'll catch up with Northeastern alumni who are out there achieving what's next. What is African fashion? Audrey Lang finds it almost impossible to define for the most culturally diverse continent in the world. She has spent the last several months in Ivory Coast, Africa, and shares with us how the pandemic has impacted her career in retail and e-commerce. Hi, Audrey, and welcome to the Northeastern Next podcast. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to dive into your background in e-commerce and fashion and merchandising and photography and writing, and it appears you've worn so many hats um, over the years. So let's just start. Where are you right now? I am currently in Ivory Coast. I am actually waiting for commercial flights to resume so I can come home, to be honest. There have been a couple emergency flights sent here for American citizens, but I didn't seem like a safe idea to go back to the United States based off of what COVID is doing to our world right now. Mm-hmm. So It seems like it's such a different story when you did an um, Instagram takeover for our account. I think it was beginning of March or um, right before yeah. kind of things started to change a lot, at least in the U.S., And you were sharing all these wonderful pictures and telling us a little bit about how you ended up in Africa. So I'm hoping you could tell us, you know, a little bit of that story. I know a lot has changed, unfortunately, um, in the present time, but you attended Northeastern in Boston. And how did you end up where you are now? Yeah, so I attended Northeastern in Boston and my first postgrad job was, I did two co-ops as a business student. So my first co-op was at um, Wayfair as a merchandising associate. And then my next co-op was at shoebuy.com, which is now shoes.com, which is owned by Walmart. Um, So they were both e-commerce related co-ops and they basically sort of molded me into sort of figuring out what it is that I wanted to do next. So I decided that I I love e-commerce and I I love site merchandising. And so that's definitely something that I'm interested in doing. So basically retail, merchandising, buying, et cetera, the works. And so post-grad, I went back to Wayfair. And that was my first co-op as a site merchandising associate for their uh, more modern brand called allmodern.com. And I did that for about seven months. And then after uh, that role, I moved on to a company called Cambridge Select. Cambridge Select was a company that was a third-party Amazon seller uh, that specialized in selling mostly shoes um, and apparel on Amazon. It was like a 30 million dollar business of selling products on Amazon, basically through a variety of different vendors. So I was a buyer for them. And I also helped them sort of launch their website uh, because they were looking for another channel to make profit from beyond just, just Amazon. And then I was there for about, I'd say about a year and a half, two years. And then I sort of was, I was sort of exasperated and I was looking for a change. And I had applied at a variety of different jobs and, and, and nothing was panning out. And then I, I decided that I was going to try my hand at, at working internationally. I tried in the past. Um, and a lot of time when you want to work internationally, there's issues of you needing sponsorship. And, and if you're not a citizen of the country, it's sort of difficult to make your way into the country. Um, and so I really wanted an international experience. 
And so I landed upon this, I started looking up e-commerce companies on the African continent and I landed upon Africrea and I started interviewing for them and I, and I got a merchandising slash creation role with them. And, and then I sort of just had to decide like soul search and decide if it, if it made sense for me to take the leap and to go. And I, I decided to, to do it. So I ended up in Ivory Coast in September and sort of hit the ground running uh, with the role. And I worked that role from September until about April 15th, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And then um, most people probably don't know this, but um, Africrea is a company that at one point was profitable, but uh, as of late has not been profitable because, because it's sort of a, a concept that's sort of waiting to catch on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they function based off of investor dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, investor dollars, uh, as of as of late, were running out, and so uh, it became a decision of whether or not it makes sense to keep everybody on, or if it makes sense to start letting people go, um, and keeping on only essential workers as they tr- sort of try to figure out whether or not they're going to be able to survive past. I think the investor dollars were supposed to run out in June or survive even past December of of this year, and and then COVID hit, and so now I don't even know what their situation is like mm-hmm. but I was let go unfortunately and so yeah that's sort of a long-winded answer to what I what I've done and what I did and and so now I'm sort of just at a place where I am actively applying for jobs back in the United States mm-hmm. um, I was offered a job here very soon after being let go of um, Africrea uh, with a company called Uniwax which specializes in selling uh, African print uh, wax within Ivory Coast there's a bit of sales in Nigeria, but with COVID, they had to close production, close their factory, which is located here. So, so everything is just up in the air. We're all just figuring it all out, basically, long and short. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I know it's it's something that I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to during this time. That you know, like I said, you know, a few weeks ago when I had first reached out, you had just done the Instagram takeover. Suddenly, you know, things change so quickly for so many. And I know, I I think it even speaks more about, you were talking a little bit how, I think the challenge of e-commerce in the continent of Africa is is just so different than it is in the US. So, you know, the probably the business model of it, the way it's catching on, kind of like you were saying, can you tell me a little bit about, I'm I'm putting this in, in hard quotes that people can't see, but this concept of African fashion. I know you can break that down for us a little bit more. And what yeah. are some common misconceptions about this kind of industry in other places around the world? I think I'd say the fashion industry is not a one size fits all fits all industry. I think it varies and it changes based off of every place that you find it. And even, even across continents, across countries, it's, it's very different. So when you think of African fashion, it's, the African continent is one of the continents with the most uh, the most cultures within it, basically. So you would imagine that some place with that many cultures within it would have just as many uh, varying fashions within it. It's very difficult to pinpoint. There's a variety of different designers. There's a luxury industry that's sort of trying to, to take uh, hold. There are a variety of, of designers who come who aren't necessarily African, who come to the African continent to sort of grab uh, our prints or to learn about uh, certain processes that we use to make fabric. A lot of the African print that you see when you think of African fashion that's used isn't even made here. It's made in, in China. 
is is Dutch. It's not even African at all. And a lot of the prints that African designers use come from country. So I think, and it, it's it ignorant to think that African fashion can be a label at all, just like a descriptor, because it's just so varied. And I think, yeah, it's something that I personally haven't known a lot about. And that's why when you were putting originally, I saw all your beautiful photos on the Instagram account. And I was like, wow, these are so great. And I just was so interested to learn more yeah. about it. And so I, it's kind of twofold because I, it's, I'm sorry to hear that it's just not, you know, how the company that you were working for, it, it just wasn't able to be profitable when I could see how like, how cool it is. Like, I feel like we say that about yeah. any type of like startup-y world where you're like, oh, you just want it to succeed and for people to know about it and to, you know, have the same growth that other companies might see in different parts of the world. Exactly. So going back to some of your photography, it's something I'd like to talk about more. There's this one photo that you have, this gorgeous shot of four schoolgirls that I just caught yeah. by. It was so beautiful. And how did you get into the craft? And were you just doing some travel photography when you got to Africa or every coast? Tell me more about that. I would say it would be a disservice to call myself a photographer. Oh, so that's not true. Um, <laughs> like, that's not true. I have an iPhone and I have mm -hmm. a variety of apps that allow me to have beautiful filters like Visco. Mm -hmm. And and so I typically use them. So I freelance write for a platform called OK Africa, which specializes in sort of connecting the African continents to everyone and everything, basically. It's based out of New York City. And I've been freelance writing for them for about four years. And every time that I, one of my close childhood friends actually was an editor for them, an arts and culture editor for them. So I think my first article was basically her coming to me and saying, there is a Francophone a musician named Papa Wemba who passed away. And he was very impactful to the concept of sapology, which is a, an African fashion, for lack of a better word, concept of just, there's a variety of Congolese men who would basically were, were very invested in sort of wearing like the high-end uh, suits or like costumes. It's, it's this whole, it's this whole amazing trend. Like when you think of uh, Japan's like Harajuku and like clothing trends, uh, when you think of Congo, you think of, of La Sap or Sapology. This musician in particular was one of the uh, pioneers of the concept. And so he passed away and it was very, something very sad. And a lot of English speaking or Anglophone countries, uh, the United States, et cetera, people didn't know about the impact of his passing. And so because I'm Francophone, uh, because I'm, I'm Cameroonian and I grew up in a household where we spoke both French and English and I have uh, exposure to Francophone Africa, she thought it would be a great idea for me to, to write about sort of his, his impact. So that was my first ever article for them. Since then, I've come up with a variety of topics to pitch for them, to place on the, on the platform, as well as been commissioned to, to write about. Um, and so when I knew that I was going to Ivory Coast, I thought, hey, it'd be a great idea for me to do like a travel diary. And Ivory Coast just seemed like a place that they hadn't explored because it was Francophone Africa. And, and so I, I pitched the idea of me, me writing as well as photographing some of what I was seeing while I was in that country. And they obviously agreed. And so I decided to go to an old colonial village called uh, Grand Bassam. Um, and it has an old French colonial center noted as being a, a historical place that people should visit, et cetera, and that should be preserved and, and taken care of. And then, so I went there 
and uh, we were we were walking through uh, the, the the village or the old old town. We came across these school children coming out of school. I think it was like two p.m. in the afternoon, and I asked them to take a picture. Um, and obviously they obliged. They were a bit shy, as you can see <laughs> in the picture. And, and I snapped the picture, and and I and I think it's one of my 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 favorite pictures that I've taken thus far. And then I put it in my travel diary, and it was it was the it was the cover photo. And then I thought it'd be interesting for other people to discover Ivory Coast and to discover uh, Grand Bassam. So I put it as a submission for Travel and Leisure magazine and thought nothing of it. And Travel and Leisure got back to me and they said, hey, it's a great picture and we'd love to put it on our back cover. And so it was featured in the back cover. And so that's sort of the longer wow. that I gave. A, yeah, I gave a little blurb about what was happening in the picture, et cetera. And, and so there, yeah. I love those that's kind of authentic I'm a traveler, but not a photographer in the sense of I've noticed how difficult it is to capture those kind of candid photos, the ones that look like not posed. It's so difficult. And so when I see those photos, I'm like, wow, that's really that I think you can call yourself a photographer. (laughs) And for, you know, if if, I mean, it was published in a somewhere that that counts for something. (laughs) So tell me, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't know much about life on the Ivory Coast. And you hinted a little bit about your background, but I'd love you to dive in more. Is it the reason you picked there, um, both the job, but also that you are French speaking, is that kind of what brought you to that particular culture? And what's something, you know, about the region that you love and learned since living there? Yeah. So the reason why I picked coming to Ivory Coast was because, not even picked, uh, decided to come to Ivory Mm -hmm. Coast was the fact that um, being of, of African descent, I think in my household, I've always been told that despite being over the course of my life, I've been exposed to multiple different experiences. So I was born in France and when I was three, my family immigrated to the United States. So I, I've lived in the United States my entire life. Over the course of my childhood, we would travel back and forth to France and every now and then we would take trips to certain African countries. So uh, Togo, Cameroon, where we're from, Benin. And so traveling in my household was, was rather important or was, was something that we, we did as, as a way to come together. And then my exposure to the African continent took place in my household with my parents, as well as coming across my aunts and uncles, as well as uh, being exposed to other first-generation African children such as myself. There was always this desire to want to be connected I guess to, to sort of want to always be more connected than I already was. Therein came the interest in wanting to write for Oak Africa, for example. Every time I write an article about a specific country or a specific person from a specific country, it's always interesting to me to sort of learn more about the country. It's always a way for me to sort of get a glimpse of what it's like to, to be from Senegal, to be from Niger, to be from Nigeria, et cetera. I think I gain a lot of exposure to these countries through my, my writings and through my interviews with multiple different people. And so there was a big part of me that wanted to connect more, live and work internationally. And in France, where I was born, as well as somewhere on the African continent, I've always been open. I haven't limited myself to one country. And so when this opportunity in Ivory Coast came about, it seemed almost fated that I should come and I should live in Ivory Coast and I should see what it's like. Very different to be told what it's like to have lived on this continent by my parents or by my aunts and uncles and to have physically thrown myself into the environment and to figure out what it's like on my own, basically. So, so that sort of was the motivation to come to Ivory Coast. And I've learned quite a bit, far more than I can give you in this interview. But um, I'd say 
there's this ever-present narrative that the African continent is full of poverty and is, I guess, lacks potential and is just this dark continent per se. And I'd say that living here, I've seen immense po- poverty juxtaposed or sitting next to immense, immense wealth. In one particular neighborhood, you can see children on a street corner next to a, a big mansion per se. Um, and that's a very weird, weird thing to have to see on a day-to-day basis. I think you said this also, I'm talking a lot about your Instagram posts, which I'll definitely plug at the end of the show so people can go back and find some of those, especially the photos, but you said you do it for the culture. And I love that because I, I want you to break down what that word means to you, because I think a lot of times people throw around the word culture and it has a lot more specific meaning to a specific person. I think it's very important for me to expose people to to parts of the African continent that they are not particularly exposed to. It's so it's important for me to change the narrative, like I said, that it's this poor place that lacks potential. And I think a lot of what I do, the pictures that I take, the trips that I go on, and the interviews that I are taking with artists and creatives, sort of aim to aim to change this narrative, basically. And I think doing it for the culture goes beyond just Af- the African continent. I think. As an African-American woman as well, I think in a lot of spaces where I find myself in, I'm underrepresented. And I think it's important for me and, and, and actually for a lot of my friends as well to sort of be able to serve as a voice or a thought leader for people like us that are underrepresented, be it in retail, be it in fashion, be it in the creative industry, be it in media, et cetera. I think it's important to have, for people to be exposed to a perspective and things that aren't like what they generally think of. Yeah. It's what I mean when I say like, I do it for the culture, long and short. I love that. And so at Northeastern, um, you were president of the African Student Organization. So I think that speaks a lot to how you take this identity that you have and make it part of that Northeastern experience. And I wonder, what was the goal of that group? Like, what did you get out of it the most? Uh, Being a part of the African Student Organization, like I said, was another way for me to connect. It was Mm -hmm. another way for me to connect with a continent that I I might not necessarily have ever lived on, but sort of wanted to forever learn more about and want to always feel connected to. It was very important for me, for example, when I was doing shows or, or organizing cultural events to make sure that all aspects of the African continent were represented. I think a lot of times because the United States is English speaking, we tend to get a, a, a view of the African continent that only encompasses countries that are English speaking. So your Nigeria's, your Ghana's, your South Africa's every now and then. Um, I think it was important for me to make sure that every part of the African continent was represented in my events. So yeah, I think I was always mindful of this, of, of how to bring across the multiple cultures that exist within the African continent in the organization is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Currently, no matter where we are in the world, you know, we are obviously experiencing a global pandemic. And I just wanted to ask you, because you are someone who has experienced a layoff, you're someone who has also worked in remote jobs, and you are a freelancer. So you're very used to that work hustle of working for yourself, putting yourself out there to get those features in OK Africa and these magazines and places. So any advice for others who, you know, the job market, there are a lot of hiring freezes right now and people are not sure what to do or how to, you know, look for those opportunities. I think that there's, like I said before, this is, it's a very great time. There's no clear answer to this. I think 
I feel like I've, I've been seeing on social media a lot of people pushing for if you are sitting at home doing nothing, uh, you have no excuse not to be creative or you have no excuse not to uh, start your own business or you have no excuse not to invest in yourself by, I don't know, learning how to play a piano <laughs> backwards, like all these weird, <laughs> all these weird things per se. Yeah. Um, and I would say that I think it's important for people not to put pressure on themselves. Mm-hmm. I think we're all going through this period of, of being uncertain and it's okay for you not to know what's next. It's okay for you not to feel as creative. I, I, I recently wrote an article for IO Magazine, um, which is this African magazine meant for, for women more so, in which I said that despite the fact that there is COVID outside and there's a media freeze and that a lot of platforms aren't necessarily hiring and don't necessarily, can't necessarily pay writers to write for them. It's very hard for me to sit down and to, to write an article because one minute I'll, I'll, I'll feel like this fierce, like force of energy and adrenaline and I'll, and I'll, and I'll be chiming away, but then the next minute I'll, I'll feel very groggy mm-hmm. and tired and unmotivated and, and, and uncertain about what's happening next. And it's, just, it's very hard to stay focused and to be in a balanced state of mind when there's everything that's going on around us. So I think it's important for people to be patient with themselves. I think if you do so feel inclined to 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 write or to look for for opportunities, then then do so. The internet is is your oyster. I've joined a couple Slack groups uh, looking for for writing opportunities. But I I mean I I'm big on just not putting pressure on yourself. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> I forget where I saw it, but there was this great quote that said remember that you're not working from home, you're home during a crisis trying to work. And I think it is true that you have to kind of give yourself a break and, you know, that not every day is going to be the same. And when you do have that energy and inspiration, like roll with it, but the days you don't, then just, you know, forgive yourself for that. Truly, that's what you have to do. And so um, I think we're almost out of time. And I just wanted to ask a kind of fun question to end with. Uh, personally, I'm very grateful to be safe at home right now, but obviously my travel bug is off the charts because when you're told you can't do something, you want to do it more. <laughs> and so um, you've had a lot of travel experience and I'm just curious, what are some of your favorite places you've been? Oh my gosh. So first of all, I cannot wait I literally am like crossing my fingers, like cannot wait for COVID to be over mm-hmm. to find another job so that I can save money so that I can go on my next trip. It's literally like, like I'm literally just waiting for it. And for like the world to be a safe place for me to go exactly. on Exactly. <laughs> um, so favorite places off the top of my head, Japan was amazing. Mm. Um, Japan, I love Japan because I feel like I feel like you you read a lot about Japan in pop culture. Kimonos, the uh, Harajuku, the there, just all of these things basically. And it was crazy to me to actually physically be in Japan and to see that like the things that you read about mm-hmm. Japan are not false at all. Like there really is an immense amount of balance within their culture and like within the way in which they carry themselves and the way in which they are within their country. And I think that was, that was mind boggling. And it was amazing for me to witness. There's like no trash on the ground. Like there's like, there's like no trash on the ground. There was a man literally, as I was walking to one of the temples, he was raking the rocks on the, the ground, like literally physically raking the rocks. Like that was crazy to me. So Japan is like one of my favorite places that I've ever been. I want to go back. There's so much more that I want to see when I go there. Um, where else did I very much enjoy? 
I loved Senegal. I love Senegal because obviously African continent holds a special place in my heart. So Senegal was a great place for me to go to. And I actually experienced Senegal during Ramadan. And mm. Senegal, I believe, is 95% Muslim. So being in a country that's 95% Muslim and visiting it during that time was crazy to me because I really got like firsthand exposure to how big of a role a religion plays within a culture. Um, and so like everything was clo- like everything was closed during the day. We had a driver that drove us around, but like he couldn't eat. He couldn't drink water. So it was, and, and like he would stop it during periods of time, during the time he was driving us around and like pray. And I just thought that was like amazing and beautiful to see. Those are the ones that come off the top of my head. I, I, there's so many other places that I want to go to. Oh, Cuba was nice as well. <laughs> You've been Cuba, everywhere. Cuba. <laughs> literally. Like, it's, like, I literally have. Cuba was nice because you get to see like, mm. it's like frozen in time. And so to be in a place that's like frozen in time in that sense is, is amazing. Um, uh, Cuba obviously has a lot of hurdles that it has to overcome. But just having been to the, I think those three places stick out on the top of my head. That's amazing. So yeah, I can't wait to continue to travel. There is an I end to this. <laughs> I, I literally need there to be an end to this because there's so much more that I need to see in the world. Well, thank you so much, Audrey, for your time today and calling in. Um, it was so nice to meet you and talk with you about your experience. And I'm just wishing you the best in this time. And I hope you thank can get home you. safely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. The goal of this show is to tell stories, hear different perspectives from voices around the world, career triumphs and career struggles, all in the pursuit of what's next. You can find Audrey on her Instagram, linked in the show notes. I've also linked one of her travel diaries from the Ivory Coast. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and review. This is Megan Kirkbrisson from the Office of Alumni Relations. Stay safe, be well, and I'll talk to you soon.